It is packed in here. I can hardly make it through the crowd. There's plenty to see. Engines and propellers and sails and maps and unusual tools and boats. Lots and lots of boats. Maine has always had a love affair with the ocean. That's Phineas Sprague. And if Phineas Sprague is not a Maine name, I don't know what is. Phineas is the founder of the Maine Boat Builders Show, a weekend in Portland in March dedicated to the craft of boat building, mostly wooden boats. He started the show 30 years ago, and he says some six to 8,000 people visit. They check out what's new, meet the builders, talk shop. Boat building in Maine is alive and well, and until you can walk from Damariscotta to Booth Bay, there'll be boats. From kayaks to yachts and lobster boats to skiffs, the boats showcased here are stunning. The design, the lines, the craftsmanship, the attention to detail. You just want to slide your hand over everything. What does this show say about Maine? Maine's circle of influence goes all over the world. And that Maine is the center. The tradition of really excellent craftsmanship is here. It's, it's other places too, but this is the bastion of it. Why is that? Why is Maine the bastion of wooden boat building? To begin to answer that question, we have to go to an unusual spot, a dirt parking lot. This is Salts and Water, stories from the Maine coast. We call this podcast Salts and Water because, well, frankly, Maine is filled with salts. People with a deep connection to the ocean. They're old salts, even if they're young. And water, well, because Maine has a lot of it. 3,500 miles of striking coastline. Salt and Water is produced by Experience Maritime Maine, the website to visit if you're planning to come see the Maine coast. I'm the host of this podcast, Rob Rosenthal. Down on Commercial Street in Bath, right along the Kennebec River, there's a parking lot. It looks just like any other dirt parking lot, but stand here and you can see the oldest and the newest in shipbuilding technology. The juxtaposition is surprising. Looking south, maybe a third of a mile, I can see Bath Ironworks. Huge brick buildings and tall blue cranes. Frequently, you can spot the ship's BIW builds for the U.S. Navy. They're hard to miss, actually, like the Zumwalt class of destroyers. It's a futuristic warship, arguably some of the most advanced technology on the water. Just behind me, there's a kind of makeshift Quonset hut covered in plastic sheets. Inside is some of the least advanced ocean-going technology, you might say. Rob Stevens is the shipwright overseeing the construction of a wooden cargo vessel, a two-masted pinnace named the Virginia. I'm in charge of making mistakes. A lot of what Rob says could be followed by a wink, like his description of the Virginia. Cargo vessel is quite often just a pretty bow and a pretty stern stuck on a box. You ready to lift this up? The ship that Rob and a crew of about a dozen volunteers are hand-building is a replica. The original Virginia was built over 400 years ago, just a few miles from here. This is the bow. Um, it's quite a, quite a chunk of wood. Chunk of wood, I'll say. Standing here at the bow, looking down the length of the ship and the ribs of the frame, it's like, well, I know this is a hackneyed description, but it really looks like I'm peering at the skeleton of a whale. Six, six and seven-eighths, marked right on it. The Virginia has been under construction for a few years. The crew has recently finished the frame. Now they're planking, attaching the sides of the boat. They're really defining the shape, and then these uh, 
planks that we call uh, bilge clamps on the inside. It just, you know, it's just so cool to look at and say, yeah, we got a we got a boat going here. Even though they're using electric tools for some of the work, their approach to building the ship is old school. They're using a lot of boat building methods handed down over centuries, and Rob's more than proud to bring that tradition into the present. In many ways, this was the uh, pinnacle of, of what humankind made. Uh, I mean, you had your cathedrals and big castles, but, you know, a, a big ship, you know, up in, you know, a couple, a hundred some feet, those were, those were amazing pieces of work. When all is said and done, the Virginia will run 54 feet long and 16 feet wide, bigger than a school bus, smaller than an 18-wheel truck. Rob measures the ship somewhat differently, though. He says it's 30 tons. Now, I, of course, being a newbie, thought that that meant the Virginia will weigh 30 tons. No, 30 tons is how much cargo the ship can hold. And a ton is 252 gallons of Spanish wine. Every barrel had a different name. I mean, you had barrels, butts, tons, hogsheads, down to little firkins. I mean, every size meant its capacity. And the ton was, you know, 252 gallons. Now, here's something that might seem strange. The ship was called the Virginia, even though it was originally built in Maine. Well, that's because at the time, Maine and much of the East Coast was named Virginia by the English. If you're Spanish, it's northern Florida. Uh, If you're French, it's New Quebec, and I think the local natives would just say go home. Back in 1607, English settlers established the Popham Colony. It was a fort at the mouth of the Kennebec River in Phippsburg. They came here to get rich. They came here to find all the cities of gold and um, fur trade and find the Northwest Passage. But things didn't go well. The winter was bad. I mean, it's Maine after all, right? The leader of the colony died. Relations with the Abenaki Indians weren't good. So long story short, after a year at Popham, the colonists built the Virginia and sailed away. They sailed across the Atlantic on the first European ship. I was thinking about this, that here they are. They had to, they were going to build this ship, but they also had to build a fort. Oh, I know. Find food. I know. Take care of the sick. I know. It's just, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing how fast people, without electricity, I think the electricity has been the downfall of Western civilization. You figure one of those guys could be the laziest person ever born. He better know how to sharpen his tool, he better know how to measure, and he better know how to cut right to the line because it's only his muscles that are going to shape that piece of wood. We come somewhere near, we get on an electric tool, we make all sorts of noises, a huge pile of shavings, and, uh, and, and you know, people say, oh, look at all the work they're doing. You know, whereas the shipwrights up above us are looking down saying, oh, my God, what is, what is the matter? Why is it taking them so long? It's true. Building this replica of the Virginia is taking a while. They laid down the first board in 2011. But look, keep in mind, the crew are volunteers, and they only work a couple days a week. So with fingers crossed, the launch date is April 2019. I want to go back to something Phineas Sprague said earlier. He said Maine is a bastion of shipbuilding. Why is that? Why Maine and not, say, Massachusetts or Connecticut? Well, lots of reasons. The Virginia is one of them. The Virginia proved you could make a good, solid sailing vessel in the New World. Second, forests. They're close by, and the wood is top quality. 
Third, there are plenty of protected inlets and bays. Those conditions gave Maine a natural advantage. Nathan Lipfert is the senior curator at the Maine Maritime Museum in Bath. Nathan says the shipbuilding industry here began slowly in the 1600s and 1700s. But by the 1800s, it took off. Maine had established a reputation. The word slowly spreads to other states that you can go to Maine and order a vessel to be built, and it'll happen fast and quick, and it'll be good quality, or it'll be as good quality as you care to pay for. What kinds of ships are we talking about? Pleasure craft, fishing craft, cargo vessels, naval vessels, vessels of exploration. That's those are the basic five reasons you build a ship. And over time, the ships kept getting bigger. Three-masted schooners, then four, five, even six-masted vessels. Massive. Starting in the 1870s, though, wooden boat builders in Maine ran into some trouble. Steel. Steel became the preferred material for ships. The wooden boat building industry declined significantly. By the time the 1920s rolled around, there were far fewer shipyards and shipbuilders in Maine. So after that, it becomes more of a story of yachts and fishing boats, and much less of a story of the large vessels built for international trade or even for the coasting trade. But check this out. Even with a decline, since the Virginia, Nathan says more than 20,000 ships have been built in Maine. A high percentage of the ships and boats built in the United States have been built in Maine. Now I should note, according to Nathan, that figure, 20,000, that includes boats and ships bigger than 25 feet. So it does not include smaller boats like canoes and skiffs. I can't even imagine how many of those have been built here. Furthermore, if you look just at Bath, Nathan says some 2,500 ships have been built, hence its nickname, the City of Ships. So arguably, Maine is a bastion of shipbuilding when you consider sheer numbers. But there's one more reason to make that declaration. Talent. We developed an amazing workforce of guys that knew how to build very complex vessels and could do it cheaply and and quickly. These days, wooden boat builders find themselves no longer competing with steel. Now it's fiberglass and other composite materials. And yet, there remain a stalwart few wooden boat builders. you think of yourself as an artist? No. No, that kind of annoys me. Peter Cass is part of the state's wooden boat building talent. You, you're a, a tradesman, a craftsman. You know, we do care how every, everything we do looks, so I suppose if you want to call that artistic. I don't know, to me an artist is, is somebody building things just to, to view. I, I'd like to think we're building a functioning machine, and uh, if it stirs something in people because it's so pretty and whatnot, that's really nice. Peter's outfit is John's Bay Boat Company. They're in South Bristol, another hub of boat building. Peter mostly builds lobster boats, but on occasion they'll build a yacht. But careful, I made the mistake of saying make a yacht. We, we like to build them, we don't, we don't make them. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What's the difference? <laughs> that was, I don't know. It's mostly a joke, a guy that worked here. There was an old fellow in here one day and he was uh, criticizing a boat, telling everything that was wrong with it. He said, I don't think that boat even was built. He said it was just made. If you look out over any harbor in Maine, you'll mostly see fiberglass boats. Fiberglass dominates. But Peter says there are many reasons to go with wood. In particular, a wooden boat is less lively, meaning it's steadier because of its weight. And he says wood is a natural insulator against engine vibration. 
Since sometimes fishermen spend more time on their boat than at home, wood makes for a more comfortable workplace. Wood, it's, it's a natural thing. You know, it was alive. It's not a cold appliance-like thing like a fiberglass boat. How do you really feel about it? <laughs> pretty chilly outside, but inside Peter's boat-building barn, the smell of cedar feels warm. Today, Peter and his crew are building a pleasure boat, a flybridge cruiser. It's a type of yacht. Peter says it will take a year to build. It's a more complicated job than a lobster boat. Galleys and settees and dining areas and custom refrigeration and just a lot more detail. Let me tell you about the cruiser. It has a 42-foot hull with cedar planking on a white oak frame. The decks will be teak, and the finishing is sepo. It's a wood akin to mahogany. Andy Dickens is sanding some of the finishing right now. Your arms start screaming at you after a while? No, not really. Fingers. The fingers are what gets you. Sanding off your fingerprints every day. Andy holds up his hand to show me his missing fingerprints. There really isn't a whole lot of fingerprint there. Um, My iPhone certainly can't pick it up when I do the fingerprint reader. (laughs) Jeff Hanley is also part of Peter's crew. He overcut a piece of wood by an inch and has to fix it. There's a woodworker in Massachusetts, I don't know where, Peabody or somewhere. They said his license plate was one cut. I thought that was pretty arrogant. (laughs) My license plate would be one more cut. (laughs) I talked to quite a few boat builders for this story, and I got mixed messages. Jeff told me he thinks younger people, like himself, are getting into the wooden boat building trade. Same with Phineas Sprague of the Maine Boat Builders Show. He said wooden boat building is alive and well. Peter, on the other hand, who has built boats since the early 1980s, he has some doubts. You know, I hate to say it's a dying art. I really hate that. But... uh, there's less of it around. There's people that can put a new plank in your boat, certainly, but, but the old guys that taught me that could do it, they're fading fast. It's, it seemed like there was more of a renewal and in interest in, in getting into the trade 20 years ago than there is now. I, you know, it's, if it takes five years to become a productive boat builder, it doesn't seem like too many people want to struggle through those five years. It's, it's surprising to me. <laughs> So you want to follow both those lines down. It's quite possible, though, in a few years, the next boat builder Peter hires might be Nula. She's a seventh grader in a boat building workshop. But right now, Nula's having a little bit of trouble sawing. I'm working on, like, fitting the chines into the boat. It's kind of hard because we keep messing up the cuts. What do you learn from making mistakes? Well, you just have to keep on trying harder and harder each time. And not give up, because if you did, then we wouldn't have a boat at the end of the year. (laughs) Nula attends the South Bristol School. It's just up the road from Peter Cass's boat shop. Every Friday, Nula and a handful of other students travel 45 minutes to the Maine Maritime Museum. They're building two rowboats, 12-foot Yankee tenders. Well, it's really fun to, like, work with our hands and just be able to build things, like... We would never, like, really get to do if we didn't come here. Galen is in eighth grade. We ask Kurt, we say, how do we fix this? Or how do we do this? And he says, I don't know. You figure it out. So a lot of the time, we have to figure things out instead of asking him, which is very frustrating sometimes. 
It's not like they're getting a day off, that's for sure. And they're actually doing more physical work than, you know, these guys are tired at the end of the day. Terry Mitchell is an ed tech at South Bristol School. She says this is the 21st class of students to build boats at the museum boat shop. And when the boat is finished, there's a launching ceremony. They have christening bottles that are decorated with uh, sparkling cider in them (laughs) instead of champagne um, that they break on them. The whole school comes down for the event. If Nula and Galen and the other kids get bitten by the boat building bug, they have other places to learn boat building in Maine. In fact, I'd say the opportunities to learn the craft are another reason to think of Maine as a bastion of boat building. There's the landing school in Arundel, the apprentice shop in Rockland, the wooden boat school in Brooklyn, Maine. But if the kids don't catch the boat building bug, Kurt Spiridakis thinks that's okay. Kurt teaches boat building at the museum, and he says the students are likely to leave with something else. We hope that at the end of this they realize that they can pretty much do anything they want. Excellent. Get your, get your eyeball down underneath here and see if, if that angle going the other way looks right. Yeah, that looks good. That look good? Yeah. Beautiful. Look at that. Yay. Okay, yay. Okay, so let's... Uh, If you're visiting Maine, be sure to take in some of our boat building heritage when you're here. Get a jump on it by visiting the website for Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors. Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors also has a boat show on the waterfront in Rockland in the summer. Hang out with boat builders and slide your hand along their fine work. Or maybe you want to sand off your fingerprints at a boat building workshop. Or maybe you just want to take a day sail on a Maine wooden boat. Regardless, it's all really magical. Thanks for listening to Salts and Water, stories from the Maine coast. This podcast comes to you from Experience Maritime Maine. ExperienceMaritimeMaine.org is an excellent website for planning your trip to the Maine coast. Salts and Water is sponsored by Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine. My thanks to Abby Levin for her editing help. Thanks also to the Maine Maritime Museum for their research assistance. Music on this episode comes from Ketza, as well as Dr. Turtle. Be sure to listen to more episodes of Salts and Water for stories about a swashbuckling fishmonger, the dramatic tides of Eastport, and much more. I'm Rob Rosenthal.